Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is the laziest gra- grave digger in fucking history. <laughs> I'm the so Adam. I, I had trouble getting that out, but like, he just falls on a pile of fucking bones. Yes. Like, what the fuck? Listen, it's like, after he undug uh, he he dug up those bones. I was unclear on that because at one point. It's sort no no no. He falls on one pile of bones that is the pile of bones he's hunting for. But yes. on his way to find the spade, there is just a spade jammed into a human skeleton. Well, it is a it is a horror movie and a prison graveyard. So, but like, but like, okay, like I want you to let's we have to process this a little bit. Somehow, somebody dug a was out there was like I need to dig a bunch of graves. Uh, this is my job. And then was like, no, I'm just going to toss his corpse here <laughs> instead, but with his headstone, because it's definitely, I guess that, I guess it's that guy's headstone, right? It's Moxon or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, because we do, like, we cut from the corpse, well, not corpse, skeleton, with the spade jammed into it to the gravestone that is presumably the owner of said skeleton. Uh, but it has time had time to become one hundred percent skeleton, <laughs> which is baffling to me because that means that grave digger is not just lazy about burying bodies, but also hasn't retrieved his spade in like fucking ten goddamn years. Okay, so a number of things we can talk about right now, but let's focus on the fact that this is a nineteenth century British. Prison cemetery. Right. Nobody's checking. Nobody cares. Right. But, like, I mean, he at least probably would have gone and got his spade in the time it takes for a body to turn into a skeleton. Not if, in the process of burying that one guy, he realized that I don't want to do this and no one will ever check whether or not I've done this. (laughs) But here's the thing. I don't think that's true. I understand now. Like, if his if his way of dealing with it was like, well, I just I just burn the bodies, or I uh, I sell them as meat on a on a market. <laughs> I totally believe that's true. Okay, you don't know My that he pal- didn't sell the me. meat and then just get the bones <laughs> back. And be like, I'm going to need the bones yeah. at least back. Uh, I have a dog at home, uh, but like, what I mean is, is like, if it's just presumably. The prison graveyard is visible to some other human being. And I, I'm i just going to go on a limb. I don't care what century you're from. Just a body sitting out rotting and decomposing is pretty gross. Like, and like, I would think somebody eventually would be like, could you at least, I don't know, burn it or something? Like, what are you doing? Is this I think you also here? underestimate just how badly London smelled. In the mid nineteenth century, well, I'm currently searching on a- on Amazon or not Amazon, Google about how long it takes a body to turn into a skeleton. And the answer is eight to twelve years. Yes, which means that spade was jammed into that body for fucking at least eight years. Um, like I just want you to think about that. If nothing else, forget the body, forget the disregard for human life. People like spades are expensive. Especially by like 1840s standards or whatever fucking year this is, you're gonna be like, um, I'm gonna go need to go get that spade. Like, <laughs> like the, if nothing else, the boss of the prison yard would be like, you're gonna need to go get that spade. Uh, you pay for your own equipment around here. I'm just thinking, shit. you know again, what I mean? The prison probably owns the spade. The spade is specifically for digging graves, and as long as no one else is digging a grave, I don't, I don't, I have seen gotta, enough Dickensian bullshit to know. They may not give a damn about human life, but they sure as shit care about the tool they handed you. That might be true. You know what I, I mean? Reminded... Like, think about all those god awful things that we've seen, like from this era about like again, total disregard for human life. But we handed you a fucking tool. We expect that shit back. Other other holes have to be We can hire another done. miner, but we can't buy another donkey. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly yeah. that thought process. They want that spade back because you get be damn sure they'll use that spade for something else around. Like if nothing else, they certainly as hell do prison labor, and prison labor definitely involves digging holes somewhere. That's I've seen Cool true. Hand Luke. I know how this works. 
I don't know. I just uh, maybe Britain already has enough holes. So presumably <laughs> we're just doing. Oh, uh, we're else. awful. But, but, but like again, like that. They, this is also an era where like idle hands was like a thought process that people really, really, truly bought into. Right. So like, if nothing else, they would literally employ people to dig holes and then fill them in. Like it's definitely a thing that happened. <laughs> That's probably fair. So I I'm think... just saying that spade is going to get returned, which means somehow something something's something's fishy. I think we're also ignoring the possibility that that skeleton was a vampire. Also possible. Definitely and, possible. Moxon does sound like a vampire name. And that someone someone att- pegged him, so to speak. <laughs> With the spade. With the spade. Uh, and then just ran. Uh, I, I could buy into that. Alternatively, like there's some sort of weird, super flesh-eating bacteria in that graveyard. It is eighteen hundred London. It's probably true. Before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can get access to a bonus episode. Always a non-Criterion movie that you also get to vote for what we're going to watch. And zero terrifying flesh-eating bacteria. And there is almost no terrifying flesh-eating bacteria on the Patreon website. 99.9%. They've lysoled it. Exactly. Yeah, it's just like a countertop. Yeah. Um, we watch a pretty eclectic mix of movies over there because they are all non-criterion features and because the list is at whatever weird whim I'm it's having. It's literally infinite in any direction other than yeah. one. So sometimes we let uh, Patreon supporters suggest polls. Uh, we've got an interesting one coming up suggested by our longtime supporter, Jason Westhaver, that I look forward to. That will be up in October. I haven't been told about this, so this is exciting. Uh, and then we also have, uh, previously, we've had a, a longtime supporter, Adam Speakerman, suggest things like uh, Louis Malle's documentaries that are actually part of the Eclipse collection, not the Criterion collection. So we have a loophole to watch them. Uh-huh. From that, we watch God's Country. Um, we've also watched, uh, you know, things like Ready Player One or Kicking and Screaming, the Will Ferrell movie. Well, watch is a very generous verb. For what happened there. We taped our eyelids Suffered. open. We strapped ourselves into the chairs. <laughs> like, we made it through. Self-flagellated. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a really, it's a, it's fun over there. And we have guests a little more often. Um, as of this recording, our most recent episode over there, uh, our friend Ben Jones-White joins us to talk about uh, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, which is a very fun movie. It's amazing, uh, yes. It was a great, great conversation with him. Uh, if you want to support us, patreon.com slash Washington Criterion, like I said, just $1 a month gets you access to that entire back catalog, which is, uh, I believe, uh, two years worth of episodes as of this point. Um, wow. So, so about 24 over there. So 24 or something. Yeah. And uh, also get to vote on it. For a little extra $5 a month, we'd like to thank those people on air. So thank you to Adam Speakerman and to Kevin Little for your continued $5 supports. Little yes, above you. that, $10 a month, we do something that I think is really great, really special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little thank you note personally to you. We also thank those people on air. So thanks again to Jason Westhaver and to Michael McGrath for your continued $10 yes, you. and above support. Very much. This week, we are continuing our box set of Monsters and Mad Men, uh, all films produced by Richard and Alex Gordon, uh, brothers from Britain, who started an American distribution company to import uh, British films and then got into production themselves. We continue, the last two weeks, we've been doing sci-fi horror we had the atomic sub and uh, the first man into space. <laughs> and the one we forgot the name of. 
<laughs> because it was a fairly forgettable movie, to be yes. honest. For uh, sure. That's yeah. definitely true. This week we start a duo of uh, period piece British horror, both set in the mid-19th century, both starring Boris Karloff uh, fairly late into his career, though I don't believe he died until 75, uh, and he was making movies until his death, I, if I recall. Uh, that sounds about right, yeah. But, uh, but Boris Karloff had a very long career, so... <laughs> Yeah, he was making movies for, oh goodness, probably a 60-year period, all told. Um, But this week is The Haunted Strangler, directed by Robert Day, who also directed The First Man Into Space, and who also directs next week's film. Uh, This film had uh, had two alternative titles, uh, Grip of the Strangler uh, and The Judas Hole. Whoa, what? Uh, well, the Judas Hole is also the name of the uh, nightclub where the girls dance. Right, I had forgot. I, I, I do remember you, that being true, but like yeah. my brain does not immediately like... Right, right. First of all, the, why the, would you name your nightclub that? The Judas Hole is definitely a terrible name for anything. Yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. That's. I mean, like you said the Judas Hole, and my brain immediately sort of went into like a tailspin going like, wait, what the right, fuck? Yes. Why? Why would you name anything that? Um, I would like to point out, if somehow I ever do have an opportunity to own a weird nightclub, I'm definitely naming it the Judas Hole. Yeah. Because people will come to it just to understand, just try to comprehend what the fuck's happening here. Um, so that's cool. I have yeah. a plan now. Um, so interestingly, this is adapted by a uh, from a short story called Stranglehold, which... Okay. Uh, uh, Robert Day says is the better title, and they should have stuck with it for the film. Uh, the story Which I would like to point out is is let's be honest here is loosely adapted from Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, right? Like, I mean, well, also, it, also it just, to be fair, yes, fair, like, yeah, just on the looser the side of the adaptation, but yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> Jan Reed, who is the screenwriter here, wrote that story apparently specifically for Boris Karloff. Oh, interesting. Uh, there is a uh, there is a bonus set of interviews on the uh, on the Criterion DVD for this called uh, "Haunted Memories" or something like that, uh, in which Jan Reed talks about that there was a novelization of the film that he did not get credited for. The producers put it out without his knowledge. That's the, really weird. And had a different author's name on it. That's so weird. <laughs> that he found out about when when he found it in a bookshop or something. One of those ones. But <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the movie industry has always been garbage. Yeah. So uh Richard Gordon, um, as well as producing all all four films in this box set, also produced Fiend Without a Face, which we watched many years ago, um, around the same time we watched The Blob. Um, Fiend Without a Face was actually shot back-to-back with this movie, uh, shot at the same time, and MGM released them as a double feature together originally. Which is good, because Fiend Without a Face was actually at least an entertaining movie. (laughs) And this yeah. was kind of boring, wasn't to be a, honest. Wasn't a terrible nightmare that's <laughs> yeah. hard to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's let's just dive right you into You want to talk that. about this movie? You want to talk yeah. about this movie? Yeah. You want to talk about... I, number one, it is, it is essentially... Like, this is... This is a... This is not the first or the last movie with this fundamental plot line of... Man has psychotic break and doesn't know what other part of man's psyche is doing. Yes. And it all also it's a murderer. Yes. Um it's pretty standard. It's pretty pretty run of the mill, especially for fifties horror, like that that era of horror where we can't show a lot. That's that's a I mean, I say fifties, but pretty much Yeah. For a long time leading up like you do still see it, I think. Um I haven't encountered it a lot. 
But I mean, I guess it shows up more in sci-fi films and like action movies now, where like, oh, my other personality's an X, and then insert whatever you want to make, whatever kind of movie you want to make it be as that, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, essentially, it's the fucking born identity. Um, <laughs> that's that's the also same fair. fucking plot yeah. line. I mean, it, it just they all are. There, it's just a real run-of-the-mill plot line. Um. Karloff does an okay job of selling it, I guess. Uh, mostly from from how he contorted his face that extremely, right? Uh, for this bat, for his uh, evil, right? Like, There's evil no latex mask involved here. It's no, just... it's just him like just beating the hell out of his own face. Yeah, really. Um, but like, I I don't know. The story is just just awful. Just 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 terrible. <laughs> I mean, oh. there's just not really anything pleasurable about watching this, right, honestly right. speaking. So that that storyline is that Karloff plays a writer slash amateur detective who is convinced. We that only this... know he's a writer based on one sentence in the whole movie, right, by the right. way, or a couple sentences. A few times he, he mentions may, he may, he yeah. makes one reference to going back to writing novels. Yeah, and then a couple other people like basically give that the derogatory version of that of like, why don't you go back to being a writer or whatever? Yeah. Uh, uh, which, by the way, he managed to do in ten years, which I guess is impressive, right? Like, I mean, he goes from murderer to not murderer who writes novels and is apparently quite successful in the course of ten years. I thought it was twenty, but I could be wrong. I swear it's ten. All right, whatever. Anyway, one or two. Which decades. also means that Moxon died at the same time that Styles died, because of Again. as we know from our forensic were, anthropology we bearing, just did based on the. On the they were burying Styles. One of the other corpses got up, so they had to, <laughs> had had to, to stab st- it because it was clearly a vampire. <laughs> stab it and get out. Anyway, um, so he is convinced that Styles, who was convicted of being uh, a, a strangler, murderer, Jack the Ripper style killer of uh, lonely prostitutes, uh, dancing girls. Well, you um, say. Jack the Ripper-esque being exactly Jack the Ripper. Yes. Really. Well, well, not exactly. He didn't, he didn't, he isn't accused of uh, stealing uh, uh, pieces of them, organs. Was well, it Jack the Ripper? Well, that we know of. Yeah. It's not covered. Anyway, Styles uh, is innocent. Styles maintains his innocence. The opening scene is Styles being put to death. Uh Boris Karloff's character believes that Styles is innocent, uh, becomes obsessed with proving his innocence, and ends up proving his innocence by discovering that he himself is the murderer and has well, just forgotten. <laughs> which, okay, uh, here's what I'm going to say. The version of this that doesn't attempt to be a horror movie is a much more interesting movie. In as much fair. as discovering that he was the murderer without actually flying into murderous rages... <laughs> Is is somewhat interesting. Could be an, like it, it's could be an interesting overdone. character study, right? Right. It's still overdone. That is still an overdone thing, yeah. but it is more interesting than the way he discovers it, which is just go, flying into murderous rages and murdering random people. And then, my God, okay. My biggest problem with this movie is that literally every other human being in this movie suffers from Silence of the Lambs and <laughs> Silence of the Lambs syndrome. <laughs> Which is, there is not a single human being in this movie with an IQ higher than, I'm going to say, lower primate. Like, nobody can figure this shit out. It's <laughs> not complicated. Like, huh. Then his wife, like, they don't even have it figured out when he murders his wife. When he murders his wife. They're like, they're like still like, mm. and then your wife was murdered. And they're like, how could that have happened? And it's like. Like, guys, the writing's on the fucking wall here, okay? Right, right. Let's be real clear here. Like, if Stu you haven't just, figured this out, Stu you are dumb as shit. On Earth. Um, that's just the power of white privilege, Pat. Um. But, like, no joke, though. We're, but, like, it's, it, is, it is a serious... This, this movie is giving the detectives in Silence of the Lambs a run for their money. There was... In terms of dumbest detectives ever to walk the Earth. There was a moment in this movie when he's digging up Styles' corpse... And uh, and picks up the knife and immediately starts to contort and get the look of the strangler and have the same the same arm issue that we've talked about the murderer having in the files from the first from the second scene of the movie. 
Uh, there was a moment there where I thought the the direction this movie was going was that the knife was cursed, and that yeah, whoever I possessed about that the too. Yeah. whoever possessed the knife became the murderer. That I thought would have been really interesting. <laughs> well, right. There's a, the 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 cursed object is is yeah. is more interesting in the sense that like having the the At cursed least surprising, object, not necessarily interesting. <laughs> Well, what makes a cursed object more interesting is is it forces people to go opposite of their nature. Yeah, which is which is always more interesting than oh, you're secretly a murderer. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it, it just because yeah. you can force that kind of plot line forces people who are otherwise good people to do bad things, right? Which is always creates extreme existential trauma, right? Like it's just like oh, I'm not a bad person, but I did a bad thing, right? Uh, I mean, it's still overdone. By like a wide margin, yeah. but still now, better course, than you're secretly an amnesiac murderer. Yeah, there is this movie after after showing him dig up a body and murder his wife, faints to an unreliable narrator sort of thing. It tries is, a little bit, which is almost it, interesting too. In that it uh, hand waves at it, yeah. He's it, trying it, it, to yes. he's trying to prove to the dumb police officers that he is in fact the dangerous murderer, and no one believes him, including the people who have helped him do illegal things. Yeah, no, and that that part was kind of interesting, but like the problem with that is is that the problem with that was the fact that the we as the audience have already been shown just how fucking dumb these people are. Right. Right. So we can't buy into that. Like, had it been a little bit more, had the whole thing been a little bit more vague. And and really, honestly, had we not seen him do that thing, that would be interesting. Right. Like then we, as the audience would start to doubt ourselves. Right. The, the, but like showing us the thing happening and then telling us that, 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 that's an unreliable narrator is a little bit more of a tougher thing because then we have to not believe what we've seen. Right. Uh, which is still okay. You can do that. Right, that right. can be done. You can pull that off. I mean, we've, we've certainly, I mean, done that, that is before. essentially fight club. It's fine. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yes. But I mean, like my problem with that is that this movie doesn't, you need to have indicated that your narrator is unreliable throughout the film. Like yeah. that's a thing you have to earn. You can't just get that. Well, I mean, that's not something Fight Club does either. And I think, I think Fight Club as a movie, no, and Fight Club didn't earn it. Let's be clear here: Fight Club Eh, did not. I still think it works, but it's okay. But I don't like it that much. Uh, I always, I I just like Fight Club for other reasons than that. So, (laughs) well, there's other reasons to dislike Fight Club, but like, let's not get into Fight Club. I just don't like the idea. Like, like. Ta-da! We solved the mystery. Is always right. a is a right. weird ending to me. Like, like you got to either show me, or not expect me to be like, like, oh, why didn't I see this coming? Yeah. Um. Whatever. Uh. Let's not get into it. I also just was forced to watch way too much Fight Club. There is there is a series of lines in my notes where I wrote, "The knife is cursed." Oh, I love this. And then, oh, never mind. <laughs> See, see, and this is the advantage that you have that you took notes. I yeah. don't take notes anymore because I like to feel. I like to to. I've embraced a more a more. Um, I don't know, sort of like um, relaxed version of this, where I just yeah. let these movies wash over me. Well, they're, they're also going to wash right back out like the tides. I'm just, I let them come in <laughs> and I let them flow out. There is. Uh, I don't need to engage. This can just leave. There's a third line there where I say or not. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, no, I what's it I mean it's all it's all fine. I mean yeah. it's fine. I just like I don't I this is one of those plot lines that I just don't usually enjoy watching. And this one sticks to the fact that I don't usually enjoy watching this plot line. Like I it's just not Yeah. Especially like the way it paints this It's fascinating to me how little people like this idea of a night, this night, this is a movie made in a time period where people probably still bought into the idea that that's how this sort of psychotic behavior would work. And then, like, also is about a time when people bought into that, psych- like that, you know what I mean? Like, oh, thank you, movie, for demonstrating that nothing's changed in the last hundred years. Thank you. Um, I don't know, man. He's got a trigger object 
that makes him have a psychotic break. That's not wholly unrealistic. The idea that he murders people during that psychotic break is is well. Bad, that's what I but... mean. It's like it's. I mean, like it's that classic sort of thing. Like, oh, this this person has this trigger object that also turns them into a high functioning murderer. Right. Is, yeah, is that's, a, a that's that's my issue there. It's a, it's not that obviously there. It's a, that's a thing, right? That shows up a lot in in, yeah. in even now in fiction where it's like, oh, I turned him. <laughs> this object turns him into. A, a psycho killer who's also a super soldier right. is uh, is a weird. It's just a weird. Like I mean, he overpowers like twelve people yeah. in that fucking nightclub because apparently it turns him into a super soldier. Also, fucking turns into some sort of anti Captain America. <laughs> like when he holds his knife, and and but also like there, there's a there's other issues because like why would it be the knife? If, oh goodness, like, Captain like, I, Captain America like, is a Jekyll and Hyde story, man. Would be amazing. You've stumbled upon something. He never I, I he never untransforms. Obviously, the Hulk is the is the Jekyll and Hyde stand in here, but right. But but that's a whole other that's a whole other thing, right? Because like um, you know, but magic formula that so... makes you a strong guy is definitely normally an evil thing. <laughs> so... Yeah, for sure. Like, well, I mean, that's sort of the 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 beauty of of comic books, right? Is that like yeah. most of all the good guys are like. Had the potential within their plot lines to be a horror movie bad guy, right? That's fair. Yeah, dude who built himself armor so he can like protect his friends. Horror movie bad. Guy. Listen, we can we can paint like, Tony. You know Stark. what I mean? But you know what we I'm saying, point, right here? Paint like, Tony Stark is much worse than that. I mean, dude who swore off uh, inventing weapons of war, but never actually stopped inventing weapons of war. Just started hoarding them instead. Yeah, just having so, them for himself so he could murder people. Yeah, yeah I know. But <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that like that that's definitely a a bad guy trope of like, like I mean, Doctor Doom is also just Iron Man, right? Like right. it's basically <laughs> right. the same fucking thing, just the opposite version. We don't need to get it. The point is, is that like they're all that. Yeah. Every single one of them. Like I mean, Thor's just a weird alien god who just does whatever the <laughs> fuck he wants anyway. Right. right. Which is already like we're we're even past horror story into like weird mythology, right? Right. Um, but you know, whatever. It, the point is, uh, I forgot what the point is, frankly. <laughs> um, but like my issue with this is more that like I don't know. I don't. I don't. I. It's again. It's fine. It's fine. You are right to say that I, this I, is a rehash. I, I watched this with my Hyde. wife. Yes, I can't. I could never escape that. Uh, I watched it with my wife, who was also bored. Uh, we both sat there on the couch, and she's like, "Is this finished yet?" And I was like, "Nope." And it's like <laughs> only an hour and eighteen minutes. But both of us were just like constantly checking our watches and stuff. We're like, are we still watching this? How long is this movie? Why does it feel like we've been watching this for three hours? And it had only been like an hour. Right. It was not a not a pleasant experience. And it's like. And she she doesn't like horror movies either. Like she despises them. I'm like it's a horror movie, and she's uh, we were talking about it, and I'm like, don't worry, it's a '50s horror movie. It won't be scary. Yeah, uh, it'll it'll more likely be stupid. And sure enough, it was very that part stupid. paid off. That part paid off. Um, yeah, and no, I just and again, I I I've gotten to a point in my life where I really really just don't want. Do not enjoy or want movies to try to talk about like mental illness unless they're going to take it seriously. And I know this is a mif- movie from 1958. I get it, but like it's just I don't know. It's just gotten a thing. It's just become more and more of a thing for me, where I just don't enjoy movies like using it as just like ah. And here's the tool by which we will accomplish our mission of making this scary movie uh, that is also not scary. Uh, here's here's something fun. Uh, I was convinced that Boris Karloff had played Jekyll and Hyde in a Jekyll and Hyde adaptation, uh, which is true, but only kind of. Well, I the mean, he only didn't play this character. <laughs> well, the only time the only time he played Jekyll and Hyde in a straight as Jekyll and Hyde was in Abbott and Costello meet Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. That totally makes sense. That 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 is the thing. Adam, you have never told me a thing that makes more sense than what you just said on this podcast. In fact, I was about to say it before you said it. I was like, I yeah. bet it was an Abbott and Costello. It was. It it's got to be. Um, 
because like that was the thing right like i mean what what happened in horror as it sort of spun off the rails in different directions is actually fundamentally more interesting to me than like the actual the actual things themselves uh but um yeah no it's just uh he you it's it's easy to picture him as that character anyway right like in your head like when you see him you're like yeah he could totally do a, a rad dr jekyll and mr hyde like you just you feel it right you look at him you're like yep he could do it um and that's essentially what he's doing here and i credit to him again no makeup he certainly transforms into a different person uh is is i mean he's able to do that uh which is impressive um uh, it's all it's all quite cliched in what what he looks like, but you know he's still able to do it without any makeup. Right. Um, I just got distracted by uh, looking at uh, Boris Karloff's filmography. The film he made directly before this is called Frankenstein, nineteen seventy. Okay. Uh, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. It's set in the future? Yes. Uh, oh, my God. I need and, to watch this. And instead of... Uh, he's not the monster in this one. He is Dr. Frankenstein. Um, and was tortured and disfigured at the hands of Nazis as punishment for not cooperating with them during World War II. Okay. Uh Allows a television crew to shoot a made-for-television horror film about his monster-making family at his castle in Germany. What? Uh, <laughs> this sounds unbelievable. Uh, which gives him enough money to buy an atomic reactor. Which he uses to create a living being modeled after his own likeness before being tortured. Uh, but he runs out of body parts and starts killing members of the crew and his butler for more spare parts. This is amazing. Why isn't that the movie we watched? <laughs> I'm I'm looking at screenshots from this. This thing is, well, number one, he throws everybody in the MRI machine, which is pretty great. Uh, that seems to be the reanimation chamber is just an MRI machine, but yeah, that's pretty cool. This is all. This is all, totally rad. I really Pre- wish we'd watch that. Presumably in a sequence of the Nazis torturing him, and not the basis of the body he is stealing. The man credited with playing the monster is also credited with playing Himmler in this movie. Wow. Hopefully, okay. as two separate characters. Right. I well maybe. I don't know. Yeah. This is already set in a really weird timeline, so. Right. right. I believe anything. Uh, well, we didn't watch that movie. We did not. And I'm kind of disappointed. I already briefly mentioned the uh, the interview page or the interview video. Uh, the rest of that, with the, with the exception of Jay Reed complaining about being screwed by the producers on the novelization, uh, most of the rest of the video is the female leads and Robert Day just talking about how great a guy Boris Karloff is. Um, that's what all the documentaries connected to this is. Yeah. Like, that's what the next one is, too. Right. I watched, like, ten, five minutes of it. I was like, jeez. I mean, like, I cool dude. I mean, I like him. Everybody loves he Boris Karloff. He seems really rad. But, like, I do not need to watch an like 20 minutes of people telling me how rad he is, yeah. how rad this person I'm never going to get to meet is. Yeah. The actresses mostly go on about how, uh, how he loved cricket so much and was always interested in the cricket scores as soon as they called cut. And, uh, <laughs> and Robert Day uh, tells an anecdote like repeatedly. Uh, I feel like it came up at least twice, even though it's one. It is one sitting interview of him, both in this and the footage from from the of him from the interviews in the in the one for the next movie are are obviously from the same base 
interview. Uh, but he talks, he talks about how Boris Karloff, whenever he was in Britain, would call up Robert Day and say, "Hey, you want to go get some roast beef?" And they go out, so and they go out and eat roast beef. It's oh, amazing. I love it. I love it. Roast beef and roast every- potatoes. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Uh, like that's the that's the story Robert Day shares about. Boris Karloff and that the Criterion Collection puts into the puts in the DVD an anecdote about him loving to go out for dinner and eat roast beef and roast potatoes. Yeah, no, yep. Yeah. But that like that checks out because every every anecdote about Karloff is like that. It's just it's right. it's just yeah. I mean, he sounds like the coolest person ever. Like yeah. honestly, and obviously, it's uh, and yeah. they're they're always meant to be always so famous for playing horror villains and. But he was such and a nice he's guy. He's just the he's nicest like, well, guy. Of yeah, of course he was a nice guy. <laughs> That's yeah. You, what did you, I didn't think he was a murderer. Like yeah. I was never under the impression he was an actual murderer. Yeah. Um. But I guess you know that you know being in a lot of horror films that that image does follow you around, right? And so people want to reaffirm that you're not a murderer. Yeah. Pretty often, right? Um. But and I get that, but also, like. Th- Every anecdote is like that. It's just yeah. every single one. It's pretty. It, it gets overwhelming eventually because <laughs> right, you're like, "Well, I right. I know I'm aware." I will say that before I realized that it was foreshadowing, uh, the moment where Karloff faints at the sight of blood, I thought was a really funny right. meta joke. Uh, and then and then it just right. wasn't. <laughs> yeah, and then it just wasn't that thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this this movie definitely has its moments, but its moments are very few and far between. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just I I the the more we watch this box set, the more I'm. This one is a really confusing one for me. Yeah, because I can't. I mean, I understand. It, At I least it's a horror I understand, movie, but though, I right? don't understand. Like the next one. Yeah, I mean, this the next I, one's barely yeah. a horror movie. The, the next one is. 100% not a horror film. Right. Okay? Right. Like, they were like, I was like, I've been very careful with this series because I was like, I'm not going to show these movies to my kids. I'm not going to. Yeah. Watch. Even though they're 50s horror and they're not scary, they are children. Yeah. And I don't I don't want to take the risk that they, I mean, I don't want to take that risk. And then um, I, could, I, I was like, I got to the end of that one. I was like, well, I guess I could have just watched this with my family because. Right. Right. Not, I mean, it's more of a period drama than anything else, which right. is fine. I I like period dramas, uh, so but we'll get into that. We'll get into yes, that. we'll obviously like talk about that more out, next week. When you when you type in Frankenstein nineteen seventy, there was also a Frankenstein movie made in nineteen seventy. Yes, so that produces Google has some confusion about that. Um, called the horror of Frankenstein. I also I also love that the popular the popular image of Frankenstein even to the modern day uh is just Boris Karloff in green makeup cuz it's just literally his face. It's Yeah, no, yeah, like. it's a, it's all amazing, right? Well, and then there's that whole story about how it became green because that's yeah. what shows up best on black right, and white film. Right, right. That whole thing is just kind of amazing. Yeah. Honestly. Uh that that like there is something special about literally creating the image of a thing for all eternity, essentially. Yeah. Like, well, this is what this person, this is what this thing looks like. It's just you. Uh, you did it. <laughs> like, right. No one will ever forget what you look like because they will see this image forever. Right. Uh, and that he's not the only person that's happened to. But like, I mean, you type in Frankenstein, and it's literally just. Well, I mean. It's occasionally the Munsters. Uh, but whatever. <laughs> well, no, that brings up an interesting point, But too, that is though. still the same thing. That is the, still the exact same yeah. style. Fred, it's, it's, Fred Gwynn, it's a spinoff of Fred that. Gwynn gets yeah. the job as, as uh, uh, Herman Munster because he looks enough looks like, like Boris, Boris Karloff. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. It's just, it's just an interesting thing that, like, but nobody's going to break through that because now, like, you get into this weird thing, like, people make, in modern horror, like in modern like adaptations, they like make a they're part of the makeup is making a person look like Boris Karloff, essentially. Right, right. Now, of course, uh, more more modern Frankenstein's try to disassociate from the cartooniness of of the 
of the Karloff Frankensteins and the 70s Frankensteins and all through right. the rest of the decade because they're trying to make gritty, realistic horror movies, not Right, but the thing about movies. that is is that, that by by the nature of what they're trying to do in, in working in, op, in contrast to that is also, like, you know what I mean? Like, painting a picture as a contrast to a thing that already exists inherently has that thing in it, right? Like, if you if you make something that's contrary to what exists as art, you are making you are still yeah. that the thing you're contra- you're being contrary to is still in your work, right? Because right, those right. are choices you didn't make because they had already been made, right? Um, yes, just then there's always uh, <laughs> then there's uh, there's always uh, yeah. Never mind. I just, I'm just getting distracted now. Sorry. I get, ultimately, I, I I was thinking about that a lot during this movie just. Because you know my my vision of Fred Gwynn isn't necessarily Herman Munster; it's uh, the judge in My Cousin Vinny, uh, okay, and yeah. how much he looks very much in his older age like Boris Karloff in this movie. Just an older Boris Karloff. They they right. they really do look fantastically similar, particularly when they're older. Uh, but yeah. Well, that's partially because there's a, there's an as we get older, like um, everybody kind of looks starts to look. Yeah, the same. no, there really is. Like, your face um, gets puffy, your eyes get a little sunken. Everybody looks like friends. I, I assume that if we all lived long enough, we would all just look the same. <laughs> and I assume it's a similar to the the effect that lobsters have, where we would just get weirdly cancerous and terrifying to look at. In the middle oh, of no. oh no! Oh um, no! Probably fair. Which is the thing I think about a lot: the fact that can't that. Like, <laughs> That all lo- that basically ninety percent of lobsters die from just getting too big yeah. to move themselves. It's a terrifying thing to think about. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> fair. We uh, can't die. We can't age to death, so we just become cancerous nightmares that get too heavy to move. Robert Day in that interview himself uh, points out a plot hole in this movie, which I, oh good good. I think is fun. There's there's a plot hole in this movie. Uh, so, so what he points out is that uh, they filmed the uh, the execution and burial uh, separately from from the digging up of the corpse, obviously. Uh, yeah. And the uh, there is an insert of you know someone putting the knife into yeah. the coffin. I right? remember it. Uh, <clears throat> well, the coffin at that point is full of quicklime. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, which which would, you know, eat the flesh much faster, right? Than than even eight to ten years, uh, right? That's the point of quicklime. Uh, but quicklime also eats bone, if I'm not mistaken. It doesn't just clean the clean the bones. Yes, it, I'm pretty sure that's true. It yeah. decomposes everything, fairly fast. That's what quicklime. Right. If it for. just left bones, it would actually yeah. defeat the purpose that it's used for in every film, which is right. like getting right. rid of bodies. Right. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> he he points out that a not only is the uh, is the coffin full of dirt and not quicklime when it's opened, uh, but also quicklime would have eaten the knife too. Oh yeah, no, like, yeah, very, for sure. Yeah, there would be no knife. Yeah, and it's all very, it's all very weird because, like, yeah, no, and it's been ten years. So even, even if there weren't quicklime in there, there would, like, a a knife buried in a box for ten years is like not going to be a knife anymore. Like, that's not a thing you can stab people with. I mean, I guess you could because you can stab a person with anything, right? But like it's not going to be a very effective tool. Uh, no, it's 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 all very this this whole thing is uh, a little weird, frankly. <laughs> In that, like it, it it's it feels like one of those things where like they built the plot retroactively somehow. You know what I mean? Like it, I get you. We've talked about this before. Like I, this one's not quite as clearly that, but like. We've ex- we've encountered it before, and this has that weird feeling of like somebody wanted a, wanted something to happen. You know what I mean? Like wanted something. They wanted and Boris then, Karloff to be a sympathetic protagonist who is revealed to be a murderer, and then right, 
they went and then retroactively worked from there. They went from there, which is which is always a little problematic. That almost never works. Right. It just it it has occasion. I mean, it certainly I'm not say it, it certainly works. can work. It just doesn't work here. Uh, because and it might be it might be that Reed is not that great of a story craftsman. It might be that producers influenced in a bad way. Uh, yeah, there's all kinds of options for that. I mean, honestly, uh, the idea of an amnesiatic detective discovering that he is the murderer, I mean, that's Memento, too, right? Yes, it is. Those, it stories, is those stories can absolutely work very well. Right. Well, okay, let's not imply that Memento works, okay? <laughs> let's Memento. not go overboard here. I. All right, fine. You hate Memento. Like, that's fine. Memento is... I also hate Memento. Let's be very clear here. If I had to choose, we've talked a, we've talked a lot of shit about a lot of movies. I'd still much rather watch Fight Club than Memento. That surprises I me. hate Memento. I would definitely I go the other way. Memento. Memento. Uh, Memento is... I haven't revisited for a while, but I feel like Memento, of all the Christopher Nolan movies... Memento well, and but the, that's, the magician. That's not a fair category because, like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's get serious here for a minute. Like, come on. Uh, but no, I, I don't know. I I also don't like. It. I I watched. Oh Memento, man, we are going Memento to alienate was... so many people for our opinion. You saw oh, Christopher I Nolan know. in Fight Club in the middle of a terrible, terrible Boris Karloff. <laughs> I know. Well, like, hopefully no one will listen to this episode. Okay, well, here's the thing. I actually, I did enjoy Fight Club when it came out. And I enjoyed I enjoyed watching it. Just in retrospect, I, and, I, and it's hard for me to separate my issues with Fight Club with my issues with people who like Fight Club, like, too much. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a really weird line to draw. Liking like, Fight Club isn't a problem. Fight Club being your favorite movie is probably a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly where I am. And, I, and, and so, like... I, I've I've built and we talked about this off screen, but I've built there are certain movies which I have these weird now kind of almost gut reactions to because of my encounters with people who like that thing too much. And it's very hard to separate that out. Fight Club is fine. Uh I don't hate it, hate it. And I I actually dislike Memento much more. And we can talk about that. Off, off mic. We if almost you want to. should not continue talking about that. Not now. I just don't like it. I didn't enjoy it when I watched it the first time. I didn't watch it, enjoy it the second time, the third time. I'm pretty certain I don't like it. <laughs> I uh, the thing I didn't enjoy about Memento is that when the uh, when someone in the production staffing uh, decided that on the DVD they should release a chronological ordered version of the movie. Oh yeah, that's definitely part of the problem. That is definitely yeah. a thing that is is in part of the problem. I think part of the problem with me for me is like the number of times I was told like I just didn't get it. It's like no, yeah, I get that's it. that's bad. I get I it. Don't and like don't like being told it, that. And that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's a thing. But let's not let's not talk about. It. You can yeah. cut out a lot of memento material in this episode. I I mean I uh, probably would, but we're still going to be like ten minutes short on this one. So well, we can just talk about this movie a little bit more. Like there's I don't, I don't know. There's, if we there's can. still meat on. I I mean, let's talk about the Judas hole. <laughs> How does no one? I mean, no one recognize this man in the Judas hole. Well, you see, he's biting his lip and he's contorting his arm and he's squinting and I, and his I, right And I eye. will give a lot of credit to Boris Karloff. I, as I said, he does a great job of being a different person. That is still clearly the same person. Especially when you consider the fact that, like, the our, our, our female lead in this film, I guess I want to call her our female lead, the, the woman who works at the Judas hole, had had really visceral reactions to the to the to the murderer character right who apparently was just like okay okay there's a lot to unpack here actually that guy with boris karlov's alter eel ego was apparently just hanging out in the nightclub like all the time as his alter ego yes because she saw she met that man Yeah. Yes. She describes like he looked at you and you felt like you know what I mean? She describes her feelings about that person. Um so 
that's a little bit hard. like number one, Boris Karloff's alter ego is clearly a murderer. Uh, but you can just tell. Uh, but also like you just you see him and you're like I don't know who this is, and also the the person that got pinned on is all like I understand it's 1800s England justice, so you know mistakes <laughs> are made. But like <clears throat> we had two options in the room, the guy who we like uh, we generally all kind of liked and he was just hanging out, and then the guy we all thought was probably a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> and then we told the police it was the guy who just sort of hung out and not the guy who we all thought was a murderer. Yeah. Why? 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 Like, even if you're like, even if like, like, why would you do that? Like, it's so weird. I think. Like, and she's like, she stands by it. Like, and it's like, well, that's not a reliable ID. Well, no shit, Sherlock. But also like, why didn't you just turn in the guy you thought was a murderer? There are... If you're so uncertain. There are underlying issues here that the film does not directly call out, but that I think are actually very interesting about the nature of prestige and privilege and being likable as an escape for condemnation for terrible behavior. Right. There is also, I think, and as as someone who suffers from face blindness... I think you should maybe realize that, uh, you know, there's the psychological justification for Clark Kent Superman's difference, right? You know, right. Well, and, 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 and there's yes, something to be said true. for the change in the change in uh, both posture and in uh, surroundings to not recognize. Right, and I, and I am more willing to accept that. That is that is a side. That is more of a side note. Yeah. For me, the the fact that they don't recognize him is more of a side note. Uh, it is it is it is weird to me because I understand that other people see other people's faces and like can actually tell who they are. Yeah, uh, I understand that that's a thing that other a power that other people possess that I do not. Um, that power to <laughs> connect names and faces and 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 people. Um, my more of my issue is the fact that like you're in a room like okay so our. In our story, the reason why Styles is hung is a witness who didn't see the person, but literally on that night had a choice between two people to essentially frame because she didn't actually see what happened. And and then mind you, at that point, our murderer has no privilege, right? Like he's just the weirdo who hangs out, right? And she decides to pin it on the guy who's not the weirdo who scares everybody because of unexplained reasons. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like her justification for that when they talk to her makes no sense. Right. She even spends most of that interview with our main character discussing the person that she didn't frame for murder. (laughs) Like, most of that interview is the person that she didn't get killed. Like, didn't get hung. Instead of the person that she did get Styles, who did get hung. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it seems to me like one of these two people stuck in your mind more than the other, and it wasn't the one you decided to tell the police is the murderer. That 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 whole scenario is weird to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the, the not recognizing the face, fine. Like, I I read Superman. I buy into it. Fine. Uh, Clark Kent looks nothing like Superman. They have nothing in common. But but no matter how you count it, the that that her choice that she made there is weird, because clearly one of these two people made her much more uncomfortable and seemed like her her the person she would think did the murder. If she didn't know, would be the person she would think did the murder. That's all. Okay, so here is here is a thing. I dry, John Croydon, who uh, co-produced this uh, and also co-produced uh, Fiend Without a Face, made some changes to the initial draft. Among okay. them were the idea of the killer being Jack the Ripper, 
style murder. Okay. The transformation actually being physical. And, as it turns out, in the original draft, Rankin is only possessed by the killer's spirit. And it's not actually the original Oh, killer. so he just made it a totally different story. So it was, it was in fact... It was basically a killer knife. It was actually a horror film to begin with. Weird. And, uh, and that is so weird. I can almost believe that that Croydon was just in the studio, them shooting this chronologically, and it's not until the day where Karloff picks up the knife, where where Croydon's like, "Wait a minute, nope, got to change some things here." No, nope, this isn't gonna work. It's a no go. Yeah, that is really weird, though. Like, they they straight up had a horror film then. Yeah. And they just decided to and not decided have a horror to not film. Have a horror film basically. That's so weird. What a weird decision to make. I don't understand. So strange. Okay, well, you know, I guess to each their own. It's what they decided to make. Right. I that is that is yeah. Very strange. Uh, Croydon, by the way, uh, is uh, also the John C. Cooper who is credited as the author of the novelization. <laughs> oh, boy. Which, which, I mean, honestly, there's enough changes that he should have gotten a co-author. Well, yeah, I know. He basically did change the entire story. Yeah. But but, uh, but they still, the book still should have given uh, Jan Reed his credit, right? So... Ugh. What a word. What, that is so weird. This is all very... Like, this movie, boy, is is a real piece of work. And uh, I don't I don't really know... Uh, I don't really know how to... I don't really know how to react to it. I'm glad it's over. I'm glad I don't have to watch it again. I consider yeah. that a, a sort of blessing at this point. Yeah, basically. It's not. It's not great. No, and and it's just and and finding out that at some point they had a horror movie and they just decided to not have right. one anymore. It's just even <laughs> makes the whole thing even strange. I still I still don't know that uh, that the idea of a possessed knife or a possessing cursed knife would have been a better movie. No, but it would have been more of a horror movie. But it would have been a horror movie <laughs> instead of. I guess a psychological thriller? I don't... Yeah, no, yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, we watched Silence of the Lambs, and so, you know, I mean... <laughs> like, if that's a psychological thriller, then so is this, I guess. He's well, a, you know, okay, he's so a crazy he's murderer, like, which is essentially the slasher genre, but Right, still. yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny, because we talked about Memento and Fight Club, but also, I'm, I'm thinking that if people are still on board after I... I guess it's long enough ago. If people are so on board on me just tearing, just just relentlessly attacking uh, Silence of the Lambs, which I feel like also has a pretty strong following, then uh, we're probably okay. I uh, I have fielded some flack for you not liking Silence of the Lambs. I'm sure you have. I I've insulated myself from all of my opinions. Yes, which is is, is among my superpowers. <laughs> Good job. There's no re- repercussions for any of my opinions, but no, I think I think my arguments for Sounds of Lamb were quite valid. Yeah, probably. I'm sticking with them. Let, more so than this one, Frank, than than Memento <laughs> or, or Fight Club. Honestly, most of my Memento and Fight Club are me just 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 a personal dislike for the movies. But uh, whatever, people have their opinions. Yeah. <laughs> uh well, I I certainly have nothing else to say about this movie. No, I don't either. I mean, and really, I'm just digging the whole the whole hole on the other thing. Yeah, yeah. Deeper so maybe it's time to pull this one to a close. My Judas talking. hole is just getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah, really. Always. God, it's such a weird thing. To you say. and your very deep Judas hole. Uh, it's it's just, a really it's upsetting like, phrase. It just is. I mean, I guess like a it's it's a watering hole, but it's evil. So it's a Judas hole. I don't. I, I don't, don't know what does it mean. Like, 
What I what what I'm worried is now is that we're later going to discover that a Judas hole is like a thing, like a thing we (laughs) should know. Common phrase. Yeah, it's just like a thing you you and I specifically don't know, and everybody else on Earth knows. It is. I'm looking it up right now. A Judas Judas hole hole. is a is a spy hole on a front door. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Still a dumb name. I mean, it makes sense for for. Phrase particularly used for like the the pool the pool doors in uh, uh, in like a prison where you could open the door to have a little window, such as we see in this movie uh, when he's starting the fire. Uh, Fascinating. Yeah. Um, and I it have makes never sense heard of people called a Judas club. hole. And just, yeah, I think it makes sense for a, a secret nightclub. That's a that's a logical thing to name it. It's a little maybe a little too on on the nose. When you're naming your nightclub, your your secret sex nightclub or whatever this thing is, <laughs> like you're like, oh, I'm gonna name it the thing that people look through to check and see if the if it's the cops. Maybe it's a little on, a little too on the nose, but you know. Yeah, uh, I just don't, I think there's a good reason the term Judas Hole has fallen out of public. Yeah, I, public I, I can parlance. imagine. I can imagine. Uh, yeah, no, I. Yeah, it's probably best for the best. <laughs> what a phrase. What a uh, goodness. It's not even evocative of what it is. Like No, no, no. It's like No, it's not. Not even a little bit. Like if you just use that phrase, no one is going to pick up on, like if you're This is one of those ones where the aliens would be totally baffled. Right. I imagine there's a lot of uh there's a lot of English translation communities, you know, like those websites where people ask what the proper right. way of saying this in English would be, where there's a lot of Judas whole conversation going on. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is because it's not even, it doesn't even come up anymore, right? Because people right. just call it a peephole, right? Like, right. so I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Apparently it is a thing. Anyway, it's still a terrible name for a nightclub. <laughs> Yeah, it is a terrible phrase in general. It's like, a terrible a thing phrase, period. Say. Uh, and also calling this movie the Judas Hole. Oh right, I keep forgetting that that was also a name for the movie. Yeah. Like it was a which also that which just really makes no fucking sense at all. It is even worse. Like that just doesn't make any sense. No. Unless he had a little door in his chest where he kept the knife. Which would be interesting. Ah, uh, ways to make this a at least weirder horror movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, really crossing into the realm of like psychedelic horror or some yeah. shit. Like, yeah. well, this just doesn't make any sense at all. Anyway, this has been us talking about the Haunted Strangler, directed by Robert Day. Has it though, Adam? Has <laughs> it? or something akin to what it? What percentage of this has actually been us talking about the Haunted Strangler? Uh, almost fifty. Um, okay, good. Good good for us. Starring Boris Karloff, we will see another, uh, Robert Day's only other time directing Boris Karloff. Uh, we will watch next week as we finish off the Monsters and Mad Men uh, box set with Corridors of Blood <laughs> from 1958 as Which well. Which has neither monsters nor Mad Men in it. Um, I don't consider drug addicts monsters or Mad Men. <laughs> I was going to go Mad Men over Monster, but sure, yeah. Um, it also co-stars Christopher Lee as a murderer, so he could be a monster or a madman. That's true. That that checks out. <laughs> uh, Christopher Lee in what is honestly not even an early role for Christopher Lee. <laughs> like, well, he just fits in that category of people who have been making movies since time began. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, anyway. We, uh, we will watch The Corridors of Blood next week and finish off the Monsters and Mad Men box set. So thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, Lee Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oritari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Bye.
You've been listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.BandCamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, or support us on Patreon. That's Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. We'd appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, you could just go ahead and cut out all the memento, all the Fight Club stuff. Yeah, I mean, the episode will only be 25 minutes long, but I think it's for the best for both you and me.